Hello, this is Elizabeth Mower, president of BEI. And I'm John Brown, the founder of BEI. Each episode, we take you into the world of exit planning, sharing the stories, struggles, and opportunities of business owners and their advisors. Chris, first of all, thanks a lot for joining us. It's yeah, thanks for having me. Um, what I'd actually like to talk about today is um, how you work with business owners who are thinking of selling or leaving their business. And I'm sure you've got a million different stories you could tell. And if you, I think that would be interesting to the audience more than knowing about uh, you know, more bland topics. I'd really like to know about your experience as, a, as an attorney in helping owners navigate the, the shoals of exiting their business. So um, that's part attorney, part psychologist, <laughs> part business partner, a lot of things go into that, John, right. as, you, as you well know. Um, you know, in my career, which um, doing this type of work, which is hard to believe for me, is now 30, 30 years, um, you see so many different types of transactions and so many different owner situations. But um, there are some striking similarities uh, in, in owners, especially founders, people who grew their company, um, and that's about maybe half of our M&A practice here is representing folks like that. A lot of similarities with people who they're not, they're not M&A people. They grew their business. They're great at it. And they're going to do their one transaction. And, um, you know, we like to get involved with those folks early in the process. I mean, and when I say early, I mean several years before they're ready to go to market. And once in a great while, we get to do that. But more often, the case for us is we are either presented with, hey, in the next six months, I want to sell my company, or, hey, I have two letters of intent. <laughs> Help me choose which one. Or even worse, here's the signed letter of intent that I, that I, that I put my name on yesterday. Let's get, let's get close. So, um, you know, very different uh, scenarios there, depending on when we get involved. But some similarities um, when you're dealing with that owner who's developed that company and built it very often there's a huge personal attachment to, to that transaction and um, very difficult for some folks to actually to let go and to transact and um, you know, some people right off the bat they realize they're struggling with that and others it's as you get closer to closing that it starts building for them. So, um, you know, the psychiatrist part uh, is a lot of handholding and helping people through that process. Uh, the earlier we can get involved, the better, because it's not just us, but it's getting the other advisors of the right um, experience and expertise involved in the process to help that all run that much more smoothly. I think you know, one thing, the more, like anything else in life, the more prepared you are for something and for all aspects of it, the easier that transition is. And um, if we get involved earlier and, and have that person prepared on the personal financial side, 
and on the philanthropic side and on the what else am I going to do with the rest of my life side? All mm. those things are just as important as the actual execution of the M&A transaction. Well, I'm guessing then, and that's great. I'm, I'm guessing you work with financial advisors, CPAs, uh, right? Other attorneys, investment bankers, the whole realm of advisors can get involved yes. in the sale. If you're not an M&A attorney or, or a deal person, whether it's an investment bank or whatever, how would you suggest uh, those advisors help prepare their clients for an exit? Is there anything they should be, what can they be doing to help that client be prepared for an eventual exit? So I think the best thing they could do is get an, an advisor involved early in the process who does have that expertise, whether it's, um, it could be an M&A lawyer, it could be an investment banker, it could ideally be someone who's got an exit planning background and exit planning experience. Because if you're a CPA or a uh, financial advisor or a lawyer and that you don't have a wealth of experience in that area, um, you're not doing that person much good um, to, to help them on the journey that they need to, to go on. Yeah, I mean, and those advisors aren't even asking questions about, have you ever thought of someday leaving your business because they don't know what to do. They're not going to be able to be helpful. So they, they probably don't even think about asking that, which then leads to the client who gives you the signed LOI. Right. That's exactly right. And you talked about stories and, um, you know, it's a product of how old I'm getting that I have a lot of stories, but I have no sympathy for you, by the way, <laughs> whatsoever. But, you know, uh, this, these types of discussions, so many things come to mind. Last year, sitting across from me at this conference room table, one of my partners has a, um, his brother and cousin have a family business, second generation family business. And they came in to talk about, okay, we're ready. By the end of this year, we want to we sell the company. And, and when I started talking about things, not just legal, but okay, have you been to your financial advisor and um, do you know what your company's worth? Not really, no, no idea. You know, it's worth several million, we know that. Have you been to a financial advisor? Well, no, I, you know. Well, how do you know how much money you need the rest of your life? You're 62 years old. Have you gone through the analysis, analysis with someone who knows to look at, here's what your company's worth, here's what you have now, Here's what your goals are from a spending standpoint for the rest of your life. Here's a Monte Carlo analysis of your post-transaction money. Are you going to be able to do what you think you're going to be able to do? And it was, um, it was like I hit them in the forehead with a two by four. You know, they they thought they were going to come in to talk about, you know, putting some agreements together to sell the company, and uh, that type of thing happens often. Hence, why it's so important to start having those discussions with someone who is an advisor that can advise on the full spectrum of things related to an exit early in the process. Yeah, so and of course that's what our company does is to train and support advisors to do the exit planning, which starts with 
it just kind of rephrase what you do. It's the same thing. It's to determine if the owner has a gap, right. whether financial gap or some other gap that would prevent them from living the lifestyle they want to post ownership. Right. And if there's a gap, we have to address that before we sell to a child or an insider or a third party or an ESOP, whatever. We first have to see what's, what's possible. Yeah. Um, and I would say, I'd like to know what your practice is like, but our members in general, Chris, about two thirds of the exit plans they actually help owners implement are transfers to what we would call insiders, children, family, management, uh, and not outside third parties. What does What is the practice in your firm like? Does it follow that pattern or, or are you more M&A oriented? Yeah, I would say, John, that we are more M&A oriented. And, and now M&A, third party sale oriented. We do plenty of, the, of that work. I also view that as M&A. It's just not an, a third party sale. Um, so we do plenty of that. But the majority of our M&A work is third party transactions. You know, I think one reason for that is going back to beating my drum about these, these clients getting the right advisors involved early enough. I think one reason for that is the lack of proper preparation of your business and making your business ready for a transaction often leaves you in a position where you can't do a management buyout or you can't do a family transfer. Um, and your only option is a third party sale. And sometimes it's even a limited pool of buyers for a third party sale. And the things I'm talking about more specifically are, if you, you can't really transfer to the next generation family, if they aren't experienced enough and don't have the breadth and depth of knowledge to run the whole business, and you haven't built an infrastructure that's going to support them. You're, and you probably are, have some third-party buyers that are out of the picture then as well. You're limited to third-party buyers who are strategic buyers and might have that infrastructure in place to plug your business into. So um, I think that we do, like I said, we do our fair share of management buyouts and family succession, but more often than not, our transactions are third-party exits. Um, it's interesting because I think many of my clients over the years, if they had the option to transfer it to management and maybe have the faith that management's going to continue to run the company well enough so that the founder could continue to get an income stream, they would prefer that, many of them. They just don't have the, they just haven't built a company that allows that to be an option. Well, it's not part of their experience. It's not part of their training. They're, like you said, most of them are, they started this business without formal training. They built a successful company, but that doesn't know, mean that they know how to develop a, a plan to help the management team grow or even develop a management team, Right, which is, essential for any kind of an inside transfer. And if you don't have a management team, as you pointed out, it really limits 
your ability to transfer the business to an outside third party. Yeah, uh, That's something we preach all the time. Most of exit planning for us is building value, minimizing taxes and minimizing operational risk. And if we've done that, then an owner can usually transfer the business by any method he or she wants to. Yeah, which does nothing more than increase the value of the business and mm -hmm. increase the pool of options that that owner has when it comes time for he or she not to work in the business every day, right? When we do get the opportunity to be involved earlier in the process, I'm glad you used the word transfer there three or four times because that's one of our big focal points is convincing the owner, the founder, that you may have a great cash flowing business, your numbers may be great, your, your, but you, your enterprise value is not going to be at its highest unless you created a transferable business, right? I always, you know, when they say, what do you mean? What are you talking about? And I'd say, well, look, if the same person has all the key customer relations in his or her pocket and is the only person who knows how to go out and kick the machine in the right spot when it's acting up, and it, that's the kind of things that make your business not transferable if, if those um, key aspects of it are tied up in, in one or two people. Right, right. We, so in, in our lingo, we call that having transferable value, which yeah. is the ability of the business to continue without the owner's involvement with minimal disruption to its cash flow. Yeah. And the owners seem to understand that. And they say, oh yeah, if I go away, you know, if this customer will go away, or if this key person, like you mentioned, who controls the customers, uh, or maybe the vendor relationships, whatever, if they leave, uh, even if they can't take those customers, I'm still awash. I can't, I won't be able to transfer my company. Yeah, so that's, a lot of it is just educating owners and their advisors about the need to engage in planning. And again, if they do that, all avenues are open. If they don't, they're gonna sell their business for not enough money usually to be able to maintain their lifestyle. Yeah. I'd be curious whether you have share this experience with me that you have to have an enlightened owner. There are certain, because this, there are investments that are required and faith that the investments are going to lead to what you and I are telling them it's going to lead to. And some, some, some owners, they're just, I just, they're just not wired for this. It's, hey, so you want me to hire, you know, two or three more key people and turn over control of uh, my relationships. And I, I just view some people we, I go through this with and uh, realize it's just not, it, it's just not a process that fits for them. Do you run into that as well? Yeah, yeah. as you were talking about there, remind me of, a, of an owner that we worked with a long time ago who wanted to sell his business. He was burned out. He and his wife were each working 50 plus hours a week or more in his business. It was a transportation type company. And they were just, they said, we just have to sell our company. And I said, well, you know, it's you two working. Have you thought of ever bringing in management? And they said, yeah, we did that. I said, oh, well, how'd that turn out? He said, well, 
that we hired this management guy. He didn't turn out. I said, well, then did you fire him and look for another management person? And they said, no, he's just, we just made him a salesman and uh, he's motoring on, but we, we, we're just not going to try to hire a management level person. Well, they, they were stuck. They weren't able to transfer their business. He finally sold it to a competitor but instead of being cashed out, he had to continue working now for that competitor. And so that wasn't really an exit plan at all. And, and you see that all of the time. I know that you see that all the time, Chris, just from what you've been talking about. Um, and I think maybe this podcast will sort of hammer home. Uh, this is why we plan. We plan so that the owner's exit can achieve all of their goals, all of their aspirations. And if we do planning, that may be possible. If we don't do planning, it's pretty unlikely. Yeah, yeah. No, I agree completely. I mean, there's so many companies and you know the statistics better than I, but that they don't exit on their own terms because they haven't built something that is transferable and they either end up liquidating or passing a business down that's not ready for the next generation and it's just a slow a slow death right yeah you know another interesting fact a statistic from one of our, one of our more recent owner surveys is that 25% of owners in the survey wanted to ex exit the business within t- 10 years but they didn't want to sell right they wanted to continue to own the business, but have it operate without their involvement. And I don't know if you see that, if you plan for that at all, or or whether it's just a phenomenon of that one survey. Uh, You know, similar to what I was saying earlier about uh, so many third-party sales that we represent, um, and I think a decent portion of those would rather stay in the business um, and have a different type of exit, but they, they feel that's the only real option they have. I have a situation right now, which um, a guy I went to college with, and he's got a, you know, um, a manu- industrial distribution and manufacturing business here in Pittsburgh. And typical example of a, of a founder, never done an M&A deal, knows his business um, uh, very well, great sales guy, um, but he has good foresight. He's saying, listen, I want out in six years. And, and ideally, I don't know how to do this. I want you to help me because my ideal situation is to not sell the company. My ideal situation is to be down in Florida. I still have some involvement. You know, once a week, I'll get on a management call. I'll be, but I want to put something together where I continue to have an income stream. Um, I transfer ownership internally, maybe keep some for myself. Um, But I know right now my business cannot do that. So I've got six years to make that happen. That is, um, that's the exception, not the rule as far as people thinking forward. Um, But I'm really gratefully, he, he is thinking that way and I'm happy to be part of it. And I feel now the pressure's on me. (laughs) I'm telling him this is how you how you do it and what you need to do. And he's actually following the steps. So we need to make it happen. 
<laughs> yeah, because he can find you, right? That's right. He, he's known me forever. So, yeah. Well, that's great. Um, any other thoughts you have? Any other insights with your, I mean, you've probably done hundreds of deals. Are there so anything in particular that stands out in a third party sale yeah. that owners overlook and it can come back to haunt them? Yeah, a couple things come to mind right off the top of my head. One, financial information. I've seen so many good companies not sell or get their price retraded because they can't deliver the, the level of financial information that, especially when it's a PE buyer, um, is required. And it's not, I know, because I've been doing this so long, I know the business is there. It's the business is what the buyer wants it to be, but the, the seller just can't provide the data to support it. And uh, it's very difficult when you don't get your financial house in order for that. And now you've got three months to do it between signing a letter of intent and, and closing. So that would be one thing. And I think if your company's a little bit more substantial, uh, well, if your company is a 20 plus million dollar a year revenue business, I'm a big believer that as you get within a couple of years of going to market, it pays to spend a little bit of extra money to have audited statements. And maybe um, a year or so before you're gonna go to market, it pays to engage a, a qualified accounting firm to do a quality of earnings study. The buyers are doing are paying accounting firms to do a quality of earnings, but I think it's a huge advantage for the seller to, to beat the buyer to the punch and hand them a quality of earnings study uh, at the beginning of the transaction. Because even if the buyer doesn't accept it, even if they don't sign off on that, that creates such a, a more smooth runway to closing and through the diligence process and everything, because you've already been through it with your advisor, um, you know, putting you through the torture of all the, the questions and the data that you have to pull together. So those would be uh, two aspects on the financial side that I would suggest people pay attention to ahead of time. You know, it's interesting I just listened to, um... A presentation by a couple of our members. One was an investment banker, one was a business attorney about a third party sale. And they said exactly the same thing you're saying is that if you go through the agony and the expense of doing an audit and a quality of earnings, it will actually make the owner more money. They will probably end up with more money in their pocket as yeah. a result of that, just because there's, there's less risk on the part of the buyer. I mean, yeah. I think that's what they were saying. The other thing, John, about that, that is a, um, a material benefit, not material in purchase price dollars, but um, certainty of closing. You know, you've already uncovered, you already know where the difficulties are. And so you're not going to sign a letter of intent and have someone else tell you that three months later or 60 days later. And also, so many times with these, lower middle market companies. And when I say lower middle market, I'm talking about companies that have enterprise value up to you know, maybe 100 or $200 million, so significant companies. But 
so many times um, the diligence process harms the business. It takes the management team and sucks up so much of the management team's time for you know 60 or 90 days that the management team is often complaining that you're dinging my price because my numbers are going down here in the last quarter because I, I can't run the business. Getting that audit done and that financial information done ahead of time really helps the management team um, not have to be consumed with the, with the diligence process on the buyer's terms. That's great. That's great. So how, as, as we wind this up, how do owners find you? Are they usually referred in by another advisor or is it because they're listening to this podcast and you're going to get a wealth of owners seeking your services, Chris? Well, hopefully the, the podcast is going to generate some, some business. Um, but historically for us, it's a mixed bag. So we have, first I'll just take a step back and tell you a little bit more about our, our M&A practice, um, just how it's um, divided. We're about, in any given year, about 50% sell side, 50% buy side. And our client mix is um, we have the founders, you know, owners on, on the sell side. Sometimes we're doing buy side deals for them, not, not as often. We do have um, several private equity groups that we do sell and buy side work for. Most of our buy side work is with a PE group uh, as our client. And then we've got strategic larger companies that um, we do spinoffs and divestitures and uh, buy side acquisitions for them. So it's a very mixed um, uh, scope of, of clients and, and the types of work we do. So that being said, it's a similar situation with where we get our, our work in from, who refers it. Sometimes it's, in, it's existing clients. You know, we've got a corporate client and we've been doing their acquisition work for years. Same with PE groups. Um, you know, you get in there and hopefully you do a good enough job that you become the, the main transactional firm for that group. Um, on the owners and, you know, the owner side, the founder side, um, very often those are longtime clients. Uh, so it's just where they're, where they're corporate counsel, where uh, they're real estate, doing their real estate work, their employment work. And when it's transaction time, that's just a natural fit. Um, but I'd say we also get a significant number of deals each year where we're a hired gun. So it might be from an accountant. It might be from an exit planning advisor. It might be from a financial advisor, a lender, um, an investment banker who has a client that's embarking on the process and says, listen, your lawyer that you have is a good lawyer, but they're not a deal lawyer. You really need a deal lawyer. And Metz Lewis is someone we've worked with and that's, that's where you should be. So it comes from a variety of different places. Great, I appreciate it. Now, maybe we'll have another podcast and talk about how a deal is structured. Yeah. Uh, because I think that's something few owners know about. Few advisors really know how you actually, how a third party sale is initiated, how it's structured, the information that's required, when you involve other advisors, yeah. how you keep the peace with the owner and keep them from committing Harry Carey. 
uh, as we go through this sale process. That might be an interesting topic to explore in the future. Well, I've uh, really enjoyed my time with you. And anytime you would welcome me back, I would be happy to, happy to join you. It's great. Thanks a lot. Thanks for listening. Join us for our next episode. For more content like this, please visit exaplaning.com.